Uh, with that, let's pray, and we'll look at Matthew chapter 24, verses 15 through 35. <clears throat> Father, we do thank you and praise you for your word. Lord, uh, the Olivet Discourse is, uh, it, I don't think there's a probably, I think it is the most difficult sermon of Christ to deal with. And so, Lord, we ask uh, that your Spirit would guide us this morning as we open up your Word, as we look at this sermon, a part of it. Lord, I ask that you would help us um, to, to understand the context. Lord, I pray that you would help us to see the, the bigger picture. I pray that, uh, Lord, you would give me a whole lot of grace in, in trying to convey a whole lot of thoughts. Um, help me to keep the, the main things the main things. And, and uh, Lord, I do pray that in the midst of this challenging passage that you would speak to us, Lord, that you would meet us, that you would encourage us, that you would give us a, a greater understanding of who you are, uh, what Christ has done for us, and that we would um, just understand your love at a, at a whole new and profound way. Uh, we are thankful for your mercy and your grace in our lives. And it's in Jesus' good name we pray. Amen. <clears throat> Matthew 24, verse 15. Therefore, when you see the abomination of desolation, which was spoken th of through Daniel the prophet, standing in the holy place, let the reader understand. Then those who are in Judea must flee to the mountains, Whoever is on the housetop must not go down to get the things that are in his house. Whoever is in the field must not turn back to get his cloak. But woe to those who are pregnant and to those who are nursing babies in those days. But pray that your flight will not be in the winter or on a Sabbath. For then there will be great tribulation, such as has not occurred since the beginning of the world until now nor ever will. Unless those days had been cut short, no life would have been saved. But for the sake of the elect, those days will be cut short. Then if anyone says to you, behold, here's the Christ, or there he is, do not believe him. For false Christ and false prophets will also, or will arise and will show great signs and wonders so as to mislead people, if possible, even the elect. Behold, I have told you in advance. So if, you say, so if they say to you, Behold, he is in the wilderness, do not go out. Or, Behold, he is in the inner rooms, do not believe them. For just as lightning comes from the east and flashes even to the west, so will the coming of man, the coming of the Son of Man be. Wherever the corpse is, there the vultures will gather. But immediately after the tribulation of those days, the sun will be darkened and the moon will not give its light and the stars will fall from the sky and the powers of the heavens will be shaken. And then the sign of the Son of Man will appear in the sky and all the tribes of the earth will mourn and they will see the Son of Man coming in on the clouds of the sky with power and great glory. And he will send forth his angels with a great trumpet, and they will gather together his elect from the four winds from one end of the sky to the other. Now learn the parable from the fig tree. 
When its branch has already become tender and puts forth its leaves, you know that summer is near. So you too, when you see all these things, recognize that he is near, right at the door. Truly I say to you, this generation will not pass away until all these things take place. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. Father, we do thank you for your word. Uh, We ask you, Lord, that you would guide us now. Help us. In Christ's good name we pray. Amen. All right, so I'm going to start out with, if you weren't here last week, (laughs) grab a CD, listen to the message online. There was a a whole lot of sort of disclaimers during that one. Um, For time's sake, I can't really give all of the disclaimers. The bottom line is we are in a very uh, difficult section of Scripture um, if I didn't believe so deeply in teaching through the Bible, sort of a book at a time, this is a section I would probably just leave for another day, like perpetually. Uh, this whole sermon is very difficult. It's dealing with prophetical things. Because it's dealing with prophetical things, there are a variety of different views. Uh, the main thing that I want to repeat from last week is because there's a variety of different views, I said, if you don't agree with the position that I hold, that's okay. Cool. I, these aren't, this isn't a section that I believe that we fight over, or I haven't really, there's a lot of people who fight over it, but I'm not really one of them. Um, but because of the variety of different rule, uh, the beliefs, um, I'm going to be in trouble at the 7 a.m. service if I'm like, <laughs> um, there's a variety of views. my aim is not to teach all of the views. I gave one of those financial disclaimers last week. If you're ever investigating a a stock market, you know, a ticker symbol, and there's an article about it at the end of the article, there's always this position actually holds uh, a number of shares in this position, or they don't hold shares in this uh, this stock price. And so last week I shared like what what stock I owned in this on the variety of views. like three of you cared where I came from, so it's okay. So I'm just sort of teaching from the framework that I understand um, this to be. There's a lot of there's a lot of heavy lifting in this particular section. Really, the next few weeks there's heavy lifting. On Friday night we had our annual board meeting for the cemetery. It's a lively group. I uh, I serve on the cemetery board here in Valley Center, and it's it's been a joy. And there's a uh, one of the ladies on the board, she's been considering going to church. And it was Friday night, and she's looking at me. She's like, well, I, she's like, I, I'm really thinking that we want to come to your church and check it out. And she's like, but I just want to know, will you? Like, do you, like, when you teach, do you just, like, every week, is there just, like, one point? Like, you walk away with, like, hey, be kinder this week. And I said, well, I kind of teach through books of the Bible. And so whatever sort of comes up, and I'm grappling with like, this section, like, this isn't like an application-rich section. Uh, I, um, I, I do see a couple things, and I hope to convey them towards the end. And so as we sort of enter into the waters of, of Matthew 24 for the second time, verse 15, I want to start with the very last phrase of verse 15. It's in parentheses in most translations, and it says, Let the reader understand this phrase has come with great uh, translator difficulty. The most, how many rephrase my statement? Many translators 
there's varying opinions and all of the opinions aren't very strong. Like they're, they don't, it's like, it could really be either way. The, the question is, is who said this? Is this Matthew as he's led by the spirit penning Matthew 24? Is he adding a parenthetical statement, sort of giving some commentary to the reader about what Jesus said? Or is this something that Jesus said while in the midst of the sermon? Now you'll notice this if you have actually the red letter Bible. I do, I, like I want to say that red letters in the Bible, those are like the red is not inspired of God. That's a translator thing that they just sort of add so you can see um, the words that Jesus spoke. There's a side of me that really I don't like red letter Bibles for reading. It's a little bit more difficult. And it, it, sort, of, it, 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 it sort of implies maybe that those red words are a little bit more per, uh, important than the black words. Um, which I don't think is the case. All from Genesis to Revelation, every word is is revealed and, and is spoken of by God. But in a hand, about half of the translations, if you have a red letter Bible, half of them will have these words in black, and the other half will have these words in red. And and all that that is is <clears throat> the translators are having a difficult time determining who said this. I have no idea who said it. it either way, it doesn't really matter. At the heart of it, the importance of this phrase, as Jesus is entering into this section, what I think he's saying, or Matthew's adding, is you're entering into some very deep prophetical waters. Um, What you read here is going to require some work on your part to sort of to understand at a, at a, at a, at some basic level. I've probably been studying this sort of thing since I entered Bible college and, and seminary. And, and so I have, this isn't my favorite subject. So I'm not like every night I'm not studying prophecy, but, but I have like 10 years of sort 15 years of sort of sifting through like this stuff. Um, but last week, one of the things I said is, if you desire to get sort of a, a primer on on sort of the bigger picture, because Matthew 24 is dealing so much with Daniel and the prophecy of Daniel, so there's Daniel, there's Matthew 24, and there's Revelation. All of these three things are intertwined and connected to one another. So I recommended David Jeremiah, David Jeremiah's book, The Handwriting on the Wall. It's sort of his teaching on Daniel. It's very user-friendly. It's not a technical commentary. But if you're looking for just a, a big picture, sort of what's, what in the world is going on, prophetically speaking, from the scriptures, uh, it's a really great book and really super easy to read and understand. I, I recommend it. Um, but what I think this phrase, let the reader understand, I think it's very similar to what John wrote in Revelation 1.3. In Revelation 1.3, John, in the beginning of this great revelation, the last um, of the disciples to be alive, who was there listening to Jesus, who saw the great revelation of, of, of Christ while exiled, he writes this, blessed is he who reads and those who hear the words of prophecy and heed the things which are written it for the time is near. I think that's sort of the heart of this, this phrase. Matthew or Jesus, the, the gospel of Matthew, certainly it says, let the reader understand. It's worthy of your study. It's, and I'm saying this to me because I was like, oh, this just doesn't like, like I said last week, I'm, how's your relationship with others doing? 
How's your marriage doing? How, how's your life with your kids going? How's the life with your boss going? How, how are you uh, living for God in your... The, these are things that I'm passionate about, and, and th- this is interesting, but, but I would rather uh, get more into like, you know, the, get grease on the hands for day-to-day life. But nonetheless, this is the Word of God, and we, we need to study it. Um, so we read, let the reader understand to back up to the very beginning. It says, therefore, when you see a therefore in the scripture, we all know this, what is the therefore, therefore, we have to ask ourselves. It's, it's one of these transitional words that says, okay, because of everything I have said, I'm now saying this. It's, it, it connects the dots, so to speak. And so to connect the dots for us, we go back up to verse 3. And in verse 3, we'll remember, prior to this, Jesus had concluded in chapter 23, the sermon that he delivered um, while in the temple. Jesus basically leaves the temple for the last time. He's furious with the leaders. He'd, he'd said, woe to you, and, and sort of <clears throat> condemned them in a lot of ways. And he basically says, this whole temple, not one stone is going to be left the way it is. It's going to be torn down. The disciples, as they move from the temple down into the Kedron Valley, back up to the, the Mount of Olives, the view that we have behind me, Along that way, the disciples stop and say, Jesus, but look at these beautiful buildings. Look at how massive it is. Everything will be okay. And then they get to the top, and then the the disciples, as they have Jesus alone, they ask him a question. Because Jesus had talked about the destruction of the temple, they ask him in verse 3, tell us when these things will happen, and what will the sign of your coming, what will be the sign of your coming and of the end of the age? They ask a couple questions dealing with, When's the temple going to be destroyed? When are you going to return? When is the messianic kingdom going to start? They had three questions, sort of what they understood as as one event in history. And so all of chapter 24 and all of chapter 25, Jesus is answering this very complicated question um, that they ask. And so as he worked down the list, first he says, guys, don't, Don't be misled. Multiple times in this chapter, there are those that will come and try to mislead you. Don't be misled. Stay grounded. Second thing he says is don't be frightened. Don't be afraid as all of these things unravel. Don't lose your heads. Take comfort in knowing that God's in control. No matter how bad it gets, I'm with you. And then the third thing in verse 14, he says the gospel is going to go out amongst the nations. And once it goes out, at a certain point, then it's the end. There we are in verse 14. This gospel of the kingdom shall be preached in the whole world as a testimony to all nations, and then the end will come. Therefore, because of this, I wanna, I'm going to sort of go into it in greater detail, Jesus says. I'm going to sort of, we're going to get down in the forest and look at the, the more detailed look. And he says, when you see the abomination of desolation which was spoken of through Daniel. Again, I highly recommend David Jeremiah's book, The Handwriting on the Wall. If you're looking for a a, a, a little more that I'm covering on this, I highly recommend that book. Um, This is where I have like multiple files open up in my brain and I don't know which tabs to acknowledge and which to ignore. Um, The abomination of desolation is mentioned in Daniel a number of times. Uh, <clears throat> Daniel references this, this 
prophecy of 70 weeks. Weeks are a unit of time that we use today, but then it was very different. Um, A week was seven years. And so Daniel references 70 weeks and a number of things that will happen during this 70-week period, 490 years. When I was in the Navy on deployment, um, sort of not even knowing that I was heading to the ministry, I was still trying to resolve a bunch of questions about Christianity. I found myself reading the Bible for the first time. I started a one-year Bible reading plan and three years later, I completed it. <laughs> and, and during this window, on one of these deployments, I, I heard about these new sort of fictional books sort of based on Bible stuff, you know, the Left Behind books. And I remember going, oh, I'm bored on deployment. I'm sitting in the ship, and I was like, I might as well read something. So I grabbed one of the Left Behind books, and I read it. And I'm not, I wasn't really a voracious reader back then, but the book sort of captivated me. And it's not scripture. It's just, it's just a story that sort of they piece together some things. And there was one scene in the books that happened after the rapture. This, basically, this husband was a pilot, and he was married to a girl that was a believer, and he wasn't a believer, and they kept giving him all these warnings, and then the rapture happened. Everybody like, is taken from the earth, and all of the people who are left behind are like, what were they saying again? <laughs> and so this sort of, they open up the Bible, and they start like, really, like, like an appetite for prophecy really increased in the books. And I sort of, there's a part of me that thinks what Jesus is saying, what's recorded here, is almost for a future generation of those going through this so they can begin piecing things together in hindsight. For us, we're sort of, I believe, looking forward. And I think it's important for us. And I think that there are some things that apply sort of in, in both ages. Um, so at this point, I think what I want to do is to sort of like blow your minds with a chart that I stole off the internet off of the dispensational website. I forget. Turn, can we go to the next? Dispensational publishing house. Um, again, if you're not dispensational, it's okay. Like we can still be friends. You can still worship at our church. It's not like I, I, I was just looking for the, 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 the clear, clearest graph that will make it clear as mud by the end of the day. Um, and for those of you that don't care, just act like you're awake. I'm trying to figure out how do I even... Okay, so this is, this is the cross. My hand's too shaky at this little pointer. But <laughs> like this story that we're talking about is right in this window. Like this is where Jesus is. Uh, the triumphal entry right here was... So this, win- this is like seven days, one week. So the triumphal entry, if you go back to this decree of Artaxerxes, where Daniel made his prophecy, he talked about these 70 weeks. I'm, I'm going to sort of not go into details. I have big picture. So 69 weeks, which is 483 years. So 490 years is 70 weeks. 69 weeks at the triumphal entry, all prophecy, like down to the day when when Daniel said it, if you were paying attention, they would have said at this day, this is the moment that the, the Messiah should enter into Jerusalem. And he enters into Jerusalem on the donkey, completing the 69th week. So we have our Jewish mindset, our Jewish thinking caps on. The question that they're asking 
Jesus is very Jewish. They're, they want to know about the Messiah. They know the prophecy. They know all of this stuff. When is the Messiah? When are these things happening? So when we look at mountain peaks of prophecy, the next thing they see is this 70th week. Okay? I, I believe that what Jesus is answering them is dealing with this last week of the 70-week prophecy. To the Jewish mind, it should have basically initiated. God's on his own program because God is God. And so this is where a lot of our various views come from. Um, this church age, meaning from the cross until some future date, some sort of refer to this as sort of a, a, a parenthetical statement in, in God's prophetical window that we just, it's nothing's really mentioned about the church. What we know about the church came from the, the Apostle Paul. Um, some would refer this as, if this is a mountain peak, this is a mountain peak, this is a big valley, that, that there's just not a lot of revelation, prophetically speaking, about the church. So Jesus is here at the foot of the cross, answering the Jewish question about the 70th week. So now when we're talking about the 70th week, some key terms that I want to sort of float your way, trying to make taking a sip out of the fire hydrant as easy as possible. So the seven-year window, which is known as the 70th week, this window, is often referred to as the tribulation, okay? Jesus refers to the tribulation period. The midway mark, which is known as the abomination of desolation, there's a couple other phrases, but Jesus in this, this paragraph, he said, when you read about the abomination of desolation, this is the three and a half year mark. At the three and a half year mark, the antichrist, some global figure. I'm not going to get lost in the imagination stuff. All we know is somewhere in the middle, what's going to happen is the temple is going to be desecrated in a way that it's never been desecrated before. It's interesting that Jesus says, don't let them mislead you. Don't, mis let them, don't let them mislead you multiple times in the section. But for the abomination, to the abomination of desolation to happen, that means that the Jewish people were misled because this person who they sort of ushered in is then going to desecrate the temple at the three-and-a-half-year mark, and there's going to be a, uh-oh, uh-oh, we were misled. Um, not in this chapter 24. Nowhere mentioned is the rapture in this chapter. We'll get more into that later. But just for the sake of giving you some theological terms to, to grapple with and to wrestle with, we've heard of the term the rapture. The rapture is really only mentioned... Well, the word rapture isn't, uh, it's a Greek word, rapture, and it, but don't, don't let me get lost in my thoughts here. Um, there's, there's a passage in 1 Thessalonians 4, verses like 13 through 17. The, the believers of that era are, are grappling with, what about our brothers and sisters who are being killed and are dying? What about them? And so Paul writes this section to encourage the believers about the next life, and that this body that we have is just temporary, and it's, it's nothing. And in that moment, in this section, he says, there will be a point when Christ returns in the air and will be caught up. The church will be caught up in the air with him. The dead in Christ will rise first. One of my seminary professors who's preached here, Dr. Hare, great old guy, went to a funeral once with him, and he could get away with jokes that I can't get away with. And he says, 
I don't know why it says it, but I know they have six more feet to go than the rest of us. So that's why the dead in Christ get to go first because they're all underground. So they get to go first and then the church is then caught up. And so the idea of the rapture is, uh, I'm just going to not say terms. There's a whole, a lot of different directions I can go. This would be the pre-tribulation rapture, meaning that the, the, the belief is that because of the imminency that's spoken of throughout the New Testament, the idea that, that God isn't, he's not going to subject his believers um, to the tribulational period, that the church is taken. It's a belief. It's, I, I hold to it, but if you don't hold to it, it's great. No worries. Like this is, again, not fighting words. But so the idea that, that the church is caught up in the air to meet Christ according to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4.17-ish. Um, then the 70th week begins. Now, another term that's often confused, the only reason I bring up the rapture is because a lot of times we talk about the second advent and we view that as the rapture. The second advent is not the rapture. It's distinct. The second advent is the second coming. At the end of the seven-year tribulation, and this is in today's passage, at the end, the king is going to come down where his feet will touch the earth and he will be here and he will begin reigning and ruling like all of the Jews expected. The first advent is the birth of Christ when he came to the earth. Okay. I think I got, got us enough groundwork. Um, you can leave this up there. We can turn all the lights on so I can read my notes. Clear as mud, I'm sure. Just what you guys are all looking forward to on a Sunday morning. A lot of the things in today's passage, I believe, are referring the generation that will be living during this tribulational period. That tribulational period of people, they're looking forward to the Lord's return. So there are certain applications that they will apply to themselves that we who live in this generation, according to the view that I hold, not saying that I, like, it's one of the views. If you hold a different view, we all can kind of agree on a couple things here, is that for us, who the next prophetical event that I think that we're looking forward to is sort of the rapture of the church, Christ coming as far as, you know, it's, it's not the second advent, but, but so we're all sort of looking forward to the same thing, which then leads to, since we're going to stand before God through death, through the rapture, through a second coming, that future encounter with him affects how we live our lives today. Okay, so now back to the context before we get all lost. So therefore, when you see the abomination of desolation, which was spoken of through the prophet, the Daniel the prophet, standing in the holy place, this is that three and a half year mark, the abomination desolation, that the Antichrist, this great popular leader, he's going to stand on the temple. He's going to desecrate it in a way that it's never been desecrated before. It's interesting because this means that for this to happen, it has to be a Jewish Israel. Right now, the temple is not a Jewish Israel. Right now, the temple is, the, the, the Alaska Mosque is, is on the temple grounds. The Dome of the Rock is where the temple should be, but it's controlled by Islam. So the temple is not Jewish controlled at this point. Prophetically speaking, it seems that the temple will be rebuilt again. In fact, there, everything is in place. Uh, many years ago when I was a SEAL, we were doing some training in Santa Barbara. And 
we got to run a bunch of scenarios, a bunch of different places. And so they gave us some warehouse and we're going through the warehouse and we're like shooting it all up with like really high speed paintballs and uh, simunition for those of you who know what I'm talking about. It's super fun. So we're like destroying this place. But it's like there, we noticed that there were like, it looked like there were some things that we shouldn't be shooting at. Like we're like, and finally at the, we'd been there for a few days. And we're like, can somebody tell us what this, what's in this warehouse? And they said, oh, everything is here getting ready for President Reagan's death whenever it comes. Everything in this room is prepared, is ready to go. So if he dies, funeral can happen right now. But they didn't know when he was going to die. And so it's like, should we be shooting this stuff? Like, I, like, we probably shouldn't be so aggressive with some of it. Or don't leave our names, so <laughs> we don't want to be accountable. So right now in Jerusalem, th- th- there is the, they, they are getting ready in preparation. Everything is set for the third temple to be built, to be placed back in order. They've researched all of the Kohens. They have the priestly line. Everything's coming together for a day for the temple to be regoing. It's, it's fascinating. So when you see this, in order for the temple to be desecrated, there has to be a temple that's up and running. From Daniel's perspective of giving the prophecy, looking forward, he thought, oh, maybe, oh, he didn't think, but historically, you think, oh, in 186, or 167 BC, there was a terrible desecration. This guy came into the temple, he took a pig, and he slaughtered a pig on the Jewish temple, like right on the, the, the place of offering. Terrible. This ultimately is where we celebrate, or we, like, if you celebrate Hanukkah, like where Hanukkah came from, because the temple was destroyed. Finally, the Maccabees fought back, and they restored the temple. They got everything going again. So looking back, they could have said, oh, this, is the, this, this could be the abomination of desolation. However, you fast forward through history, Jesus, where he's speaking from, he's speaking ahead of that. So it wasn't that. So, so then some think, oh, the desecration of the temple, uh, the view, the uh, preterist view is what they're called, they look forward and they say, oh, the destruction in between 67 AD and 70 AD, when the temple was destroyed, that's when all of this happened. Although there are some serious interpretations, like we read and we'll get there, like that the, the light's going to dim, that the, the, the atmospheric conditions are going to, that's not recorded anywhere. So I sort of hold that there's a, there's a future event. Um, it forces us to look forward. Okay, I think I can move on here. Hopefully, you're all with me. Hopefully, we all have our thinking caps on today. Therefore, when you see the abomination of desolation, which is spoken of through Daniel the prophet, standing in the holy place, when this desecration of the te- temple comes, ignore that statement that we let the reader understand. When you see that, if you're a Jewish person and you're living during that day, these are your marching orders then those who are in Judea must flee to the mountains. Whoever is on the housetop must not go down to get the things that are in his house. Think, put, put a fire evacuation on steroids. If you're on the top of your house, the stairs are on the, were on the outside of the house. It says, if you see this, get out of there. You don't have time to even go into the house and collect your things, your important documents. You just run off of the roof and get out of there. Verse 18, whoever is in the field must not turn back to get his cloak, just leave. But woe to those who are pregnant and those who are nursing babies in those days. I love to see Jesus' sympathy here. It's like, what is this talking about? It's like, if you've ever been, like, I've had a pregnant wife and and fleeing for your life with a, a pregnant woman 
or a nursing mom, like it's going to be difficult to travel. And he's saying, God have mercy on you if you're in that situation because it's going to be bad and you're going to have to get out of there and you're not going to have time to go slow and to drink your water and to sort of take it easy. You've got to get out of there. He says, verse 20, but pray that your flight, not airlines, maybe he's prophesying about airplanes. I don't think that's what he's talking about, though. I think he's talking about running, will not be in the winter or on the Sabbath. I think he's thinking like, hey, you're not going to have time to get your jacket. So if it's cold, you're not going to have provision. Or if it's on a Sabbath, that this idea that, that you're not going to be able to get supplies along the way if it happens on a Sabbath as you're out of there because everybody's sort of shut down. He's saying, this is urgency. He's saying, you've got to get out of there. When this abomination of desolation happens, you've got to get out of town. Get as far away as you can possibly go because things are about to get super, super nasty. He goes on to say in verse 21, he says, for then... That second half period of this slide from the abomination of the temple, this last three years, he says, for then there will be great tribulation. This is where the term comes from, why people, they talk about the tribulational period, seven years. The great tribulation is often referred to as that last three years. He says, for then, because following the desecration of the temple, for then... There will be a great tribulation such has not occurred since the beginning of the world until now, nor will there ever be. This is crazy to me. Like I think of, like if you study history, and and I don't say this lightly at at all, like I've lost a ton of friends in this, this, this recent war over the last 10, 15 years. Like a lot, like I've lost a ton of buddies in combat. But when I look at the numbers, like I think we're like 3,000 or so. Like, you talk about, like, D-Day. That's nothing. Like, the amount of people that were lost in World War I, World War II, the, the charts are off this, like, record number of fatalities. I mean, so much after World War I, they, they thought Veterans Day used to be Armistice Day, the, the war that ended all wars, never again, but then that changed World War II. And then I think about the sort of the catalyst of World War II. Think about the Holocaust. Like one of the stops, if you go to Israel with me, one of the stops that we will go and spend hours at is the Holocaust Museum to, to ponder and to look at the death and destruction, the, what happened. That was terrible. But I think what's future is beyond that. So the Holocaust is going to not seem that big of a deal compared to what Jesus is describing here. He says it's going to be so bad. The world has never, ever, ever seen this sort of violence and destruction and death and murder. It it, 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 it has never seen it and it will never ever see it again. And then verse 22, we see the, like if we get anything from this, here's another one, like wake up, okay, like let's, this is a good spot here. We learn about the character of God. We learn about his mercifulness. We learn about his kindness, his love for those who have placed their trust in him. In verse 22, we read, unless those days had been cut short, no life would have been saved. He said, everybody would be dead. If, if this period continued without God's intervention, everybody would die. But for the sake of the elect, and I'm not going to get wrapped around this, you could translate this as chosen ones, his people, God's people. He's comforting the disciples who are asking the question. For the sake of the elect, those days will be cut short. Because God has mercy on his people, he's going to basically stop. What's... Then, if anyone says to you, behold, here's the Christ, or there he is, do not believe him. 
For false Christs and false prophets will arise and will show great signs and wonders so as to mislead, if possible, even the elect, even God's chosen people. Behold, I've told you in advance. He said, I'm giving this to you so that you'll know. I almost think if these words are here for this future generation so that when they're going through this, they'll be pleading, like going over these pages. What did Jesus say? Then he continues, verse 26. So if they say to you, behold, he is in the wilderness, do not go out. Or behold, he is in the inner rooms, do not believe them. For just as the lightning comes from the east, and flashes even to the west. So the coming of the Son of Man will be whatever the corpse is, wherever the corpse is, there the vultures will gather. Okay, let me sort of gather my thoughts here. Jesus is beginning to talk about this time that is terrible. My understanding is that once all believers are taken at the rapture during the the seven-year period, the 70th week, People are going to come to faith. People are going to respond to God's word. People, believers are going to develop. And, and, and as this three and a half ladder window happens, things are going to get so bad. And the longing of God's people is going to be so great for the Messiah to come that they'll be easily misled, not because they're gullible, but because they're so longing for their Messiah I've noticed this over the years with people that the older they get, like when you start, like the 80s, 90s, I'm not trying to, but, but, but like people who I love and respect, like I think of the Farringtons. I think of like guys like Chuck Smith. Their, their ministry sort of changes at the very end of their life. Like all they want to talk about is the Lord's coming. And because they're getting so close, whether they're going to die or like he's going to come, that, that all they can focus on is where is the Messiah? We want him. And, and we should be ready. We should be longing for the Messiah. But during this age, it's going to be so bad that somebody says, hey, I see the Messiah over there. Here, let's follow him. Or, oh, no, no, he's over here. Let's follow him. Look at all these signs. Look at all this. There's wars and rumors of wars. And look at the news. And, oh, let's keep our eyes out. And Jesus is saying, don't be misled. Don't be misled. Because when the Messiah comes, it's going to be obvious to everybody. This isn't like, this isn't like he's going to be tucked away in South Dakota somewhere <laughs> that we have to find him. It's, it's, it's going to be a catastrophic, everyone around the world will understand that the Son of Man has arrived. This last, this last phrase, he says, wherever the corpse is, the vultures will gather. Like This is like one of those very, like J. Vernon McGee says, this is the hardest verse of this whole sermon. People make speculations. Some seem to indicate, which, which makes sense, that what Jesus is saying, it's, it's likely a proverb of the day. And so if you've seen, um, like if you see a bunch of vultures circling overhead, they're pretty easy to see, like if you're in that area. And you can say, uh, something's dead down there. So it's very easy to spot, like, okay, it's, everybody can see it. Like if, if you're in Africa on the plain and there's a bunch of vultures, you go, something's dead. We'll just go over there and see what it is. And I think Jesus' point is like, it's going to be obvious. Don't be misled. There, there's a side point that drives, it makes me absolutely furious about this because it taps into people who take advantage of people who are like so longing like, I, I see this with infomercials. I see this targeting, like, elderly people. Like, you have knee pain. Oh, this Navy SEAL has this light machine. Order it for me from $69.99, and I'll put it on your knee, and it'll make you better, which I think it's not. I think, it, like, Navy SEALs are not endorsing this light machine. 
But it's like, I know like my dad is one of the guys who's bought this light machine for his knees. And he's like, oh, it makes my knee feel so better. It's like, well, I'm glad your knee feels better, dad, but I'm not sure. I think that people are like taking advantage of people. And I think that this will be sort of that people will be led astray because they're so longing for their Messiah. And Jesus says, don't be misled. You're not going to miss his coming. Like, you're not going to miss it. You're not going to need some prophet to tell you that Jesus is coming. I, I don't know what it will look like, but I know it'll be obvious. I also don't worry about this because it's not up to me to sort of pull the master like voltage switch, like boom, now it's time to bring Jesus. It's not up to me for his return. It's going to happen on his timing and it's going to be obvious to all of us. So let's just worry about how we live our lives. Um, Okay, back to the text here. Verse 29. He says, but immediately after the tribulation, so here we are, immediately after the tribulation, he's talking at the very end of this window. But immediately after the tribulation of those days, the sun will be darkened and the moon will not give its light and the stars will not fall, will fall from the sky and the powers of the heaven will be shaken. See, this is for the preterist. This is, this is a difficult passage for me that sort of, there's, there's no record of this happening in AD 70. This, when, when the temple was destroyed, then there's these, these great catastrophic events, there's nowhere in history that these actually happened to say, oh, all of these things happened. And he says, and the sign of the Son of Man will appear in the sky, and all the tribes of the earth will mourn, and they will see the Son of Man coming in on the clouds of the sky in power and great glory. And for those of you that are, have a Calvary Chapel background, this is like, for your sake, I'm going to throw this out. All Calvary Chapel people, it's their, their joke. They read this, the Son of Man coming in the clouds in the sky with power and great glory. Is like the big joke that great glory is going to be there because great glory, it sounds the same. You know, my Calvary friends laughed and it's like, it's cheesy. So I had to share the cheesy story and, but it's not great glory. He's going to come in power and great glory and he will send forth his angels with a great trumpet and they will gather together his elect or his people from the four winds from the end of the sky to the other. So the Messiah is going to come. He's going to gather his people. And he's going to begin because he, he's, he's shared with us. There really hasn't been a whole lot of application. I mean, there's some application if you have to flee from Jerusalem during this time. Um, so he sort of, he's answered their question. What, what's, remember, verse 3, the context, everything verse 3. Tell us when these things will happen and what will be the sign of your coming in the end of the age. Okay, you want to know here? I'm going to give you a glimpse into the future. This is what it'll look like. Now in verse 32, he's going to give us a little proverb or, or a parable. Now, learn the parable from the fig tree. He's already, he's used the fig tree a bunch. It was only a couple days ago, chronologically from where this happened. Remember, as he entered into Jerusalem, that second day, there was a fig tree that had all of the leaves on it, but no sign of any fruit. He cursed the fig tree, and then the fig tree died. And he used his, that as an example to his disciples that this is what religion is. It looks really good on the inside, but there's no fruit. There's no love. There's no joy. There's, there's, there's not the fathers um, working out in their lives. We're not talking about that parable of the fig tree. He's going to share a new parable of the fig tree. He says, now learn the parable from the fig tree, that when the branch has already become tender and puts forth its leaves, you know that summer is near. I don't have a fig tree, but I have an apricot tree, and I love that apricot tree. It blooms, and a fruit comes, and so all of the leaves are off right now, and in a couple months or whenever, all of a sudden, I'm going to see those little green leaves, 
And then after the green leaves, the flowers come, and the flowers represent fruit, and I'm going to be happy. And summer's coming. I've had a, like, I've enjoyed the rain, but I think they got El Nino wrong. I think El Nino's happening this year. <laughs> like, we got four more days coming. My sister lives in Seattle. I'm like, I don't know how you guys take it. Like, I, like it was fun the first couple days, but now it's getting old, and, and uh, I'm ready for summer. Jesus is saying, just like the fig tree, when you see this, you'll know. When you see these things, you'll know. I'll remember when Anna was pregnant with Grace, and we kind of didn't do uh, prenatal classes. I just bought a DVD, and I watched the DVD, and I, th- there were a couple things I took away from the DVD. The, the one that really scared me, it said when she starts yelling that I'm done with this, I can't do this anymore, I can't take it anymore, the lady's like, that means you're right at the end. And she looks at the ladies on the DVD and she says, honey, that thing's coming out of you one way or the other. Like, there's no, like, pressing the reset button. And so then when, when, when Anna was in labor and Grace was coming, we're down at the birth center. Like, I'm trying to, well, what I really did was I invited my mother-in-law and I said, you know how to talk to her body. I don't know how to coach on this stuff. And, and I'll be here and you just tell me what to do. And my mother was in the front row sort of navigating everything and and, and, and then there was a time where we kind of were alone. My mother-in-law wasn't there. And Anna starts like crying. She's like, I can't take this anymore. This has got to stop. And it was like in my mind when this happened, it was like the theme song of Little House on the Prairie came on. <laughs> and I, I start weeping. I'm like, she's in horrible pain. And I'm just like, I'm going to be a dad. Like, there's going to be a baby. I'm like crying and I'm just sort of getting lost. And Anna's like, Gunner, <laughs> there's no time for this. And I'm like, wait, no, no. What you're saying right now means it's, they we're practically there. Like, this is it. And she's like, you have your moment later, but I need you now. I can't do this. And I like, got, so I think Jesus is saying, like, when you see these things, it's like the fig tree. It means you're not going to miss it. The time is coming. You're not going to miss it. When, when all of these things appear and you're not going to miss it, you'll know the time is near because that's what they were asking. He said, you, so you too, verse 33, um, so you too, when you see all of these things, recognize that he's right at the door. Truly, I say to you, this generation and this generation has caused him, I don't think it's this generation that he's speaking to, to the disciples just because how things prophetically have unfolded. I think this generation means that when these things are happening, when this tribulational period is going on, if you're a person who's a follower of God during this era, going, how long is this going to last? I can't see. This is so, if it's worse than the Holocaust, three and a half years can seem like an eternity. Like, I have a hard time waiting for the UPS truck on the day of delivery. Like, when I know it's coming, that seems like forever. That's kind of probably a bad joke, but... But things are going to get so terrible. And if you're reading this in the midst of the terror going, no, he's coming. There's hope. There's hope. I can endure. He's going to get me through this. I know that all of the signs are here. The Messiah is on the way. There's hope there. This generation will not pass away until all of these things take place. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. And we see, we end with, this certainty of Jesus' words. Jesus spoke like no other person. The disciples asked this question. Jesus gives them some heavy, heavy, um, a, a glimpse into the future of the things that will come. 
And so he's answered that question. And I think now from, from this point, I think my view might change as I start studying it, but I think that from verse 36 to the end of 25, I think Jesus sort of transitions. And he's saying, in light of these things, this is how you should be living. This is how your life should be guided and directed. And again, this is a tough section. Um, trying to figure out what are some ap- application points. There, there was a, a, an article written by this, uh, I can't say his name, Buescher. He wrote a book, Wishful Thinking, a seeker's guide to the, like, seeker's ABCs to sort of understand Christianity. And, and um, so he's talking about, like, yeah, the end time stuff we don't really enjoy and they're difficult in the application. But he says, you know, the reality is the thing we don't like about these prophetical events is we don't like the idea of the judgment. It doesn't seem fair to us. And then he comments and he says, the New Testament proclaims that at some unforeseeable time in the future, God will ring down the final curtain on history and there will come a day which all our days and all the judgments upon the world and all our judgments upon each other will themselves be judged. This is the point. The judge will be the Christ or will be Christ. In other words, the one who judges us most finally will be the one who loves us most fully. And as Jesus is speaking these words, he's literally two days from the cross. In two days from the time that Jesus spoke this, he is going to be arrested. He's going to be stripped naked. He's going to be beaten to the point where his flesh is ripped from his body where we're told that it wasn't even, he, he wasn't recognizable whether he was male or female, that he was so beaten before he even went to the cross. Most people would have died prior to the cross. And that he hung on the cross naked. Why? Because he was making payment for us. What our sin requires was placed upon him. And so this Lord of ours, who's speaking these harsh words, He's the one that's going in our place to the judgment that we deserve. And so really, these words are an encouragement to his followers. Some of the question that I sort of, from this that I'm pondering, is I often hear as we look at trials and tribulations, and the thing that comes, this just isn't fair, like where's the justice? I think the first thing when I see this is like justice is coming to everybody. And, and we never want fairness. We want God's mercy. And those that don't receive his mercy, like wrath is coming to them and there's warning. And so if, if you haven't received Jesus as your savior, you're now stuck in your sin. Like you're, you're going to go before God and deal with your own sin with him. And that's a, that's a frightening place to be. And so for those of us that have come to Christ, the, the big question is, why did you come to Christ? Did you come to Christ so that your life would be easier, that things would go better for you? Or did you come to Christ for the reason that the Bible describes that you're a sinner in the need of of a Savior, that you're distant from God, and the way to bridge that gap is through the Savior, Christ Jesus? And if that's why you came to Christ for reconciliation with God, then how we handle our trials is very different. Like if you're going through a difficult time, but you know your Savior and you know what he did, it kind of puts everything into perspective. 
And even going through trials, we have this understanding that we have this sovereign God to go, you know what, my God's greater than all of this and he's working something. My perspective changes. And the other thing about this is I'm realizing like how few, how few trials we as American Christians actually have. Like the global perspective, a news report came out this week. I forget the actual number. But, but, but this, the, the persecuted church is off the charts right now. That Christians are being killed for their faith worldwide in, in the greatest numbers than they've ever, ever seen before. And so in one sense, it's like, man, we really have it easy. Like, we need to stop, like, complaining about, like, oh, the threat that the IRS might take away our tax exemption status. That is, like, very small compared to, to things that are happening globally to the church. And really, when we recognize it, I think that we should be more involved in praying for and supporting our brothers and sisters around the world. But we have so much to be thankful for. When we start really examining like how cush our lives are, we really have a lot to give thanks for. And then finally, as I look at this, the whole heaven and earth will not pass away. My words will not pass away. The, the word of God is so, so important. That, that's, that's why we cover hard subjects like this, because I'm just going through Matthew. And so whatever comes up in Matthew, I'm going to teach it. I'm a little bit scared for the end of the year because I'm, I'm really jumping in the deep end. I'm like, well, we did Matthew. Like, Hebrews just makes sense to me to kind of do Hebrews next. But Hebrews scares me to teach through. But we're going to do Hebrews. And why are, we doing he- why are we doing that? Because God has given us Hebrews. It's important to us. I'm looking forward to what we're going to learn. But our focus here will always be the Word of God, not, not my opinion. And so many people that are outside the church, it's like they come up to me and they say, hey, what are you preaching on? What subject are you covering this week? And it's like, oh, it doesn't really work like that. I'm not like going through my week going, oh, I've really been discouraged this week, so I'm going to talk about joy. Or I'm really happy, so let's talk about how good God, you know, we're going to talk about whatever God presents to us. All right, I've said enough, and I've probably given you too much. Uh, Let's pray. Father, we do, um, we thank you for your word. Lord, these topics that we're covering through the Olivet Discourse are, 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 are difficult subjects. They are are things that are heavy and weighty and trying to connect the dots and and, and figure out how do they apply in my present life? Um, What things are we looking for? It's so much easier looking in the rearview mirror. And so, Lord, we come to this, this, this sermon on the Mount of Olives, and we we find ourselves wrestling with with uh, difficult things. We wrestle with varying opinions within our church, and maybe even our church. And so, Lord, I pray that you would help us to be humble as we look at the various views, as we study the scriptures, and Lord, ultimately, we desire um, to know you more. Um, there's a whole lot of uncertainty um, trying to piece this section together, but there's a whole lot of certainty. We know that you are the one and true God. We know that you're in control. We, we see your holiness. We see your mercy. And so, Father, I thank you for the portions of Scripture that scare us to get right with you. And so, Lord, I pray for... Uh, people that are here that, that may be listening or uh, hear, that just don't even know you as Savior. And so, Lord, I pray that they would come into a correct understanding of who you are. 
that they would be able to respond to you in faith, that it's simple that Christ died for us, that we might have life. And so, Lord, for those of us that have received Christ as Savior, we thank you, Lord, that we don't have to be frightened by these end-time things. We, uh, we thank you that we have hope. We thank you that we're secure. We ask, Lord, that you would give us confidence as we live our lives in you. Help us to be a light into this world that is perishing. I pray that you would help us to live our lives in light of that day when we will stand before you. May we bring you glory in this life. May we be faithful to you in all that we do. And it's in Christ's good name I pray. Amen.